chapter 88. Have you ever woken up about a hundred times more exhausted than you were when you went to sleep? The next morning, at least. I assumed it was morning, since we were all waking up. I felt like one of those twelve dancing princesses, who danced all night, wore holes in their shoes, and had to sleep it off the next day. Except, oh yeah, A. I'm not a princess. B. Sleeping in a subway tunnel and having another brain attack aren't that much like dancing all night. And C. My combat boots were still in good shape. Other than that, it was exactly the same. Is it morning? Angel asked, yawning. I'm hungry, were, predictably, Nudge's first words. Okay, we'll get you some chow, I said tiredly. Then it's up to find the Institute. Fang, Iggy, and I had agreed not to tell the younger kids about the hacker or my latest brain attack. Why make them worry? It took a couple minutes for us to wind our way through the subway tunnels, back into the light and into the air. You know you've been breathing something less than Primo, when the New York City streets smell really fresh and clean. It's so bright, the Gazan said, shielding his eyes. Then, is that honey-roasted peanuts? Their incredible scent was impossible to resist. You could have an eraser selling those peanuts, and we'd still probably go. I focused my eyes on the vendor. No, not an eraser. We got some peanuts, and then we walked down 14th Street, chomping, as I tried to figure out a sensible way to comb the city. First, a phone book. We saw a phone kiosk up ahead, but it only had a chain where the phone book had been. Would a store let us use theirs? Hey, information! I dug some change out of my pocket and picked up the phone. I dialed 411. In New York City, the Institute for Higher Living, I said when the automated operator came on. We're sorry. There is no listing under that name. Please check and try again. Frustration was my constant companion. I wanted to scream. What the heck are we supposed to do now? I asked Fang. He looked at me, and I could tell he was mulling over the problem. He held out a small, waxed paper bag. Peanut. We kept walking and eating, gazing in constant amazement at the store windows. Everything you could buy in the world was for sale on 14th Street in New York. Of course, we couldn't afford any of it. Still, it was awesome. Smile. You're on candid camera, Feng said, pointing at a window. In an electronic store, a short-circuit camera was displaying passerby on a handful of TV screens. Automatically, we ducked our heads and turned away, instinctively paranoid about anyone having our images. Suddenly, I winced as a single sharp pain hit my temple. At the same time, words scrolling across the TV screens caught my eye. I stared in disbelief as... Good morning, Max. Filled every screen. Jeez. Feng breathed, stopping dead in his tracks. Iggy bumped into him, saying, What? What is it? Is that you? The guysman asked me. How do they know you? Playing is learning, Max. Said the voice inside my head. It was the same one as last night, and I realized I couldn't tell if it was a child or adult, male or female, friend or foe. Great. Games test your abilities. Fun is crucial to human development. Go have fun, Max. I halted, oblivious to the gobs of people streaming around us on the street. I don't want to have fun. I want some answers, I blurted without meaning to. The crazy girl talking back to her little voice. Get on the Madison Avenue bus said the voice. Get off when it looks fun. Chapter 89 I don't know about the rest of you who have little voices, but something about mine made me feel completely compelled to listen to it. I blinked and discovered the flock gazing at me solemnly, watching me sink further into total insanity right before their eyes. Max, are you okay? Nudge asked. I nodded. I think we should get on the Madison Avenue bus, I said, looking for a street sign. 
Fang looked at me thoughtfully. Why? I turned slightly so the others could see me and mouthed the voice. He nodded. But Max, he whispered, barely audible. What if this is all a trap? I don't know, I said. But maybe we should do what it says for a while. To see. Do what what says, the gasman demanded. I had started walking toward the corner. I heard Fang say, Max has been hearing a voice inside her. We don't know what it is. So much for not worrying the others. Like her conscience? Nudge asked. Did the TVs have anything to do with it? We don't know, said Fang. Right now, it wants us to get on the Madison Avenue bus, apparently. The bus stop was 14 blocks away. We got on, and I pushed our fares into the machine. The driver waved us through, saying, Pass, 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 in a bored voice. I hope the voice didn't want me to keep spending money. We were dangerously low. For people who get nervous in small, confined spaces or surrounded by other people, riding a bus is pretty much a living nightmare. It was so crowded we had to stand in the aisle with people pressed up against us. I figured we could always kick a window out and jump, but the whole thing frayed my few remaining nerves. My head was swiveling constantly, scanning for erasers suddenly morphing out of our fellow passengers. Well, voice? I thought. What now? I'm sure this will surprise you, but the voice did not answer. Next to me, Angel trustingly held my hand, watching the city go past the bus windows. It was up to me. I had to keep everyone safe. I had to find the Institute. If my brain attacks killed me, the thing would take over. But until then, I was numero uno. I couldn't let the flock down. Do you hear that voice? If you're going to make me let everyone down, you're going to be sorry you ever... entered my brain. Oh my god, I was so freaking nuts. Okay, people, the bus driver said over the PA system. 58th Street. This is where the fun is. Startled, I licked a fang, then started hustling everyone out the back door of the bus. We stepped into the sunlight. The bus pulled noisily away, leaving us choking on its exhaust. We were at the bottom of Central Park. What? I began. Then my eyes widened as I saw a large, glass-fronted building across the street. Behind its glass were an enormous teddy bear, a huge wooden soldier, and a fifteen-foot-tall ballerina up on one pointed toe. The sign said, AFO Schmidt, the world's most amazing toy store. Well, okay. Chapter 90 we were poor, underprivileged, pathetic bird kids that had never been in a toy store. And AFO Schmidt is where kids think they've died and gone to heaven. Right inside the front door was a huge two-story clock covered with moving figures. The song, It's a Small World, was playing loudly, but I figured that was to keep out the riffraff. I had no idea why we were here. It seemed too much to hope for that somehow this little romp was getting us closer to fighting the Institute. But I made the executive decision to see where it took us. A life-size stuffed giraffe surrounded by other life-size stuffed animals led the way to the whole stuffed animal area, which was practically as big as our old house. I looked down at Gazzy and Angel to see them staring, wide-eyed and slack-jawed, at too many fabulous toys to even comprehend. Iggy, the gasman said. There's a whole room of Lego and Bionicle. Go with them, I told Fang. And let's keep an eye out for each other, okay? He nodded and followed the boys into the Lego room, while I trailed after Angel and Nudge, who were picking up one stuffed animal after another. Oh my gosh, Nudge was saying, holding up a small stuffed tiger. Oh, Max, isn't he the cutest thing? Oh, his name is Samson. I dutifully agreed that he was, in fact, the cutest thing, 
and kept glancing around for either an eraser or some kind of clue that my voice might point me to. Max? Angel tugged on my sleeve. I turned to her and she held up a small stuffed bear. It was dressed as an angel, with a white gown and little wings on its back. A tiny gold wire halo floated above its head. Angel's eyes were pleading with me. I checked its price tag. The pleasure of owning this small stuffed bear could be hers for only $49. I'm so sorry, Angel, I said, bending down to her eye level. This bear is $49. We're almost out of money. I don't have anywhere near that. I'm really sorry. I wish I could get it for you. I know it's an angel, just like you. I stroked her hair and handed her the bear back. But I want it! Angel snapped at me, which was completely out of character for her. I said no. That's it, kiddo. I wandered a few feet away, but still within eyeshot of the girls, to look at a mystical display. There were magic eight balls, and when you shook them, an answer would float to the surface of the little window. I shook one. Very likely was its prediction. Unfortunately, I'd forgotten to ask it a question. There was a game called Kabbalah, a gypsy fortune teller game, and the old favorite, an Ouija board. I breathed out, my hands in my pockets, and looked around the store. Maybe we should sleep here tonight. Out of the corner of my eye, I detected a slight movement, and my raptor gaze locked on it. It was the little Ouija doohickey, the thing that spirits are supposed to guide across the board, pointing to certain letters. But everyone knows it's actually the kids doing it. This one was moving with nothing touching it. I looked around. No one was near. Angel was almost twenty feet away, not looking at it, still holding the bear. I waved my hand over it. There were no wires. It had touched the S and then the A. I lifted the game board and held it up, in case it was being moved by a magnet underneath. The pointer reached the V and headed toward the E. Save. I put the board back down as if it were red hot. The small black triangle paused on the T, then moved to the H, then the E. The. It slid very slowly toward the W, and I frowned. It moved up and over to the W, my jaw clenched. By the time it reached the R, I was ready to throw the board across the store. Grimly, I watched as it finished. The L, the D, the M, the A, the X. Save the world, Max. Chapter 91 Fang. He whirled, saw my face, and instantly tapped Iggy in the gasman's hands. They joined me and Nudge under the huge clock. Let's get out of here, I muttered, and a Ouija board just told me to save the world. Gosh, you're like famous, the gasman said, clearly not feeling the ominous dread that I was. Where's Angel? Fang asked. I reached up for her and grabbed air. My head whipped around, and I rushed back to the stuffed animal section. Already, panic was flooding my senses. It had been barely more than a week since she had been kidnapped. I skated to a stop by a life-size chimpanzee hanging from a display. In front of me, Angel was talking to an older woman. I'd never seen an eraser that old, so my heartbeat ticked down a couple notches. Angel looked sad, and she held up the angel bear to show the woman. What she... Fang began. The woman hesitated, then said something I couldn't hear. Angel's face lit up and she nodded eagerly. Someone's buying something for Angel, Eggie said quietly. Angel knew we were watching her, but she was refusing to meet our eyes. The five of us followed them to the checkout counter, and I watched in disbelief as the woman, 
seeming a bit bemused, took out her wallet and paid for Angel's bear. Angel was practically jumping up and down in happiness. She bounced on her heels, clutching the bear to her chest. I heard her say thank you about a thousand times. Then, still looking slightly confused, the woman smiled, nodded, and left the store. We swarmed around our youngest family member. What was that about? I asked. Why did that woman buy you that bear? That thing cost $49. What did you say to her? Iggy demanded. No one's buying us stuff. Nothing, Angel said, holding her bear tightly. I just asked that lady if she would buy me this bear, because I really, really wanted it and I didn't have enough money. I started shepherding everyone out the front door before Angel asked someone to buy her the life-size giraffe. Outside, the sun was bright overhead, and it was time for lunch. Time to get us back on track. So, you just asked a stranger to buy you an expensive toy, and she did? I asked Angel. Angel nodded, smoothing her bear's fur down around its ears. Yeah, I just asked her to buy it for me. You know, with my mind. Chapter 92 Fang and I exchanged a look. This was a little scary. Actually, a lot scary. Um, what do you mean exactly? I asked Angel. Okay, so she can pick up on most people's thoughts and feelings. But this was the first I'd heard of her sending a thought. I just asked her with my mind, Angel said absently, straightening the bear's small white wings. And she said okay, and she bought it for me. I'm gonna call it Celeste. Angel, are you saying that you influenced that woman so she would buy you the bear? I asked carefully. Celeste, Angel said. What's influenced? To have an effect on something or someone, I said. It sounds like you sort of made that woman buy you the bear. Celeste? Celeste? Whether she wanted to or not. Do you see what I'm saying? Angel frowned and shrugged, looking uncomfortable. Then her brow cleared. Well, I really wanted Celeste, more than anything in the whole wide world. Like that made it okay. I opened my mouth to explain the life lesson that was screaming to be learned here, but Fang caught my eye. His expression said, save it. And I shut up and nodded, waiting to hear his thoughts later. And now, back to our mission. If only I had one freaking clue as to how to find the Institute. We stopped and bought falafel for lunch, keeping an eye out for danger as we walked along eating. Angel tucked her bear, Celeste, into the waistband of her pants so she'd had both hands free. Angel was only six, and God knows her upbringing hasn't been exactly normal. Still, I thought she was old enough to know the difference between right and wrong. I thought she knew that influencing that woman to buy her Celeste was wrong, but she had done it anyway, which I found disturbing. I winced and grabbed my temple, just as the silky voice said, It's just a toy, Max. Kids deserve toys. Don't you think you deserve a toy, too? I'm too old for toys, I muttered angrily, and Fang glanced at me in surprise. Did you want a toy? The Gasman asked, confused. I shook my head. Don't mind me, folks, just talking to my little voice again. But at least my head hadn't hurt nearly as bad this time. I'm sorry it hurts sometimes, Max. I don't want to hurt you. I want to help you. I clamped my lips together so I wouldn't answer it. When I wanted information, it was silent. When I didn't want to hear from it, it got chatty. It was almost as irritating as Fang. Chapter 93 I was starting to seriously freak out. Everywhere we went, something from the other side got to me. 
If it wasn't a voice in my head, it was a TV screen in a window. It was a hacker kid in a subway tunnel. The contents of my brain displayed on his computer. Bus drivers telling us where the fun was. The erasers. What's that saying? You're not paranoid if somebody is really chasing you? We're surrounded, I muttered, staring at the toes of my boots as we walked along. I felt thing do a 360 next to me. We're wasting time, I finally said in frustration. We need to find the Institute. Discover our histories and destinies. We don't need to go to toy stores. We've got to be serious about this. All in good time, Max. Fang started to answer me, but I held up a finger. One sec. You need to learn how to relax. Relaxation facilitates learning and communication. Studies have shown it. But you're not relaxing. Of course I'm not relaxing, I hissed under my breath. We need to find the Institute. We're running out of money. We're constantly in danger. The others had stopped and were watching me with alarm. Fang was probably ready to drag me to the funny farm. I was totally losing my mind, right? Something had damaged my brain. I'd had a stroke or something. And now I was hearing voices. It made me different from the rest of the flock. Too different. I felt alone. Just one voice, Max. Not voices. Calm down. What's wrong, Max? Asked the gasman. I took a deep breath and tried to get a grip. I feel like I'm about to explode. I said honestly. Three days ago, Angel said she'd heard that there was more info about us in a place called the Institute. In New York. More info. This could be what we've always wanted. Because we might find out about our parents? Iggy said. Yes, I answered. But now we're here, and really weird things are happening, and I'm not sure. With no warning, the hairs in the back of my neck stood up. Hello, kids. Directly in front of us, two racers leaped out of the doorway of a building. Angel screamed, and I instinctively grabbed her arm, jerking her back hard. In a split second, I had swung around, and we were racing down the sidewalk at top speed. Iggy and Fang were behind us, nudging the gasmen on either side. The sidewalks were full of people, and it was like an obstacle course. Cross! I yelled and darted into the street. The six of us whisked between two passing taxis, whose drivers honked angrily. Behind us, I heard a loud thunk and a startled, half-choked cry. Bicycle messenger took an eraser out. Fang shouted, Can you giggle while racing for your life and protecting a six-year-old? I can. But two seconds later... A heavy clawed hand grabbed my hair, yanking me backward, right off my feet. Angel's hand was ripped out of mine, and she screamed bloody murder. You think you understand those words? Bloody murder? Trust me, you don't. Chapter 94 Without pausing, the powerful eraser swung me up over his shoulder. Talk about being dead meat. I smelled his harsh animal smell, saw his bloodshot eyes. He was laughing. Happy to have caught me, and his long yellow fangs actually looked too big for his mouth. Angel was still screaming. Bloody murder! I kicked and yelled and hit and punched and scratched, but the eraser just laughed and started tearing down the sidewalk while people stared. Is this a movie? I heard someone ask. Nah, this is too original for Hollywood. They do sequels. Lifting my head, I saw Fang, dark and determined, streaking toward us. He was keeping pace, but he wasn't catching up. If a car was waiting, I was a goner. I struggled as hard as I could, chopping at the eraser, punching and scratching, and it was infuriating how little effect I had on the beast. Had they been bred to have no pain receptors? Fang! I bellowed, seeing him even farther away than he had been. 
we were outpacing him. Dimly, I could still hear Angel's high-pitched shrieking. Every nasty swear word I knew came pouring out of my mouth, punctuated with punches and chops and kicks. The eraser didn't even slow down. And the next thing I knew, we were going down. Suddenly, it was no warning, as if someone had cut the eraser's legs out from under him. He hit the ground with a sickening thud, and I cracked my head against the sidewalk so hard I saw fireworks. My legs were pinned, and I frantically started kicking, scrambling out from underneath him. He didn't move. Had he knocked himself out? How? I scrambled back into a trash can, snapped onto all fours, and stared at the eraser. He was completely still, his eyes open and glassy. Blood trickled out of his mouth, which had morphed halfway to a wolf's snout. A few curious people had paused to watch us, but most kept walking, talking into their cell phones. Life as usual in New York City. Fang roared up and pulled me hard to my feet, starting to drag me away. Wait, I said. Fang, I think he's dead. Fang looked from me to the eraser, then nudged his boot against the still form. It didn't move, didn't blink. Still holding my hand, Fang knelt and put his fingers against the eraser's wrist, wary and alert for movement. You're right. He said, standing. He's dead. What did you do to him? Nothing. I was wailing on him, but I didn't do squat. Then he went down like a ton of bricks. The crowd thickened and moved a bit closer as the rest of the flock raced up. Angel leaped into my arms and burst into tears. I held her tight and shushed her, telling her it was all alright. I was safe. Feng flipped the eraser's collar back, just for a second. We both saw the tattoo on the back of his neck. 11-00-07. Just then, a cop car pulled up, lights flashing, siren wailing. We started to fade into the background, edging away through the crowd. Crazy drug addict, Feng said loudly. Then we strode quickly, turning the first corner we came to. I put Angel down and she trotted next to me, keeping up, sniffling. I held her hand tight and gave her a reassuring smile, but I was actually shaking inside. That had been so freaking close. We had to find the Institute and get the heck out of here. Back to the desert. Somewhere they couldn't ever find us. It was late, though. We were almost to the park, where we planned to sleep. In the street beside us, cars and taxis passed, unaware of the high drama that had just taken place. So he was five years old, Feng said quietly. I nodded. Made in November, year 2000. Number seven of a batch. They're not lasting too long, are they? How much longer would we last? All of us. Any of us. I took a deep breath and looked around. My eye was caught by a taxi with one of those flashing red dot signs on top that advertised Joe's Famous Pizza, or a cleaning service, or a restaurant. This one had the words racing across its face. Every journey begins with one step. It was like a taxi fortune cookie. Every journey, one step. One step. I blinked. I stopped where I was and looked down where my feet were taking one step at a time on this long, bizarre journey. Then I noticed a stunted, depressed tree set into a hole on the sidewalk. A metal grate protected its roots from being trampled. Barely visible between the bars of the grate was a plastic card. I picked it up, hoping I wouldn't see a burning fuse attached to it. It was a bank card, the kind that you can use at an ATM. It had my name on it. Maximum ride. I tugged on Fang's sleeve, wordlessly showed him the card. His eyes widened a tiny bit, so I knew he was astonished. And voila! My old pal the voice popped up just then. You can use it if you can figure out the password. I looked up, but the mystic taxi was long gone. I can use it if I figure out the password, I told Feng. He nodded. Okay. 
Swallowing, I tucked the card into my pocket. Let's just get into the park, I said. Nice, safe Central Park. Hey, and thanks for listening to another episode of Maxim Crime, a Maxim Ride bootleg audiobook podcast thing. I am your Olivet Marky, and we are starting to get close to the end here. Sort of. <laughs> we have like 40 chapters left, which is... That's a lot of chapters for how long I've been reading this. That's too many chapters. I don't like saying that I have 40 chapters left after I've been reading for like two months. <laughs> um, but anyway, I am rambling. I just wanted to say in the announcements this time, I'm not going to be posting an episode on the Wednesday before American Thanksgiving because I will be traveling and I won't be able to get away from my family for long enough to uh, edit and record a podcast that would sound at least halfway decent without a bunch of screaming cousins in the background. I was going to say this with, you know, more warning time, but I forgot that that was a holiday that was coming up until about 15 minutes ago, so I am telling you now to not be surprised slash disappointed slash angry when you check your feed and there's not an episode. <laughs> so sorry about that, my bad. I will address that type of thing before the next major holiday. <laughs> Sorry. But, um, yeah, I hope you guys have a good American Thanksgiving if you celebrate it. And if you don't, good on you. I hope you have a good Thursday. And if you have to go to a Thanksgiving Day gathering with your family whom you don't really enjoy being with, like me, I hope that you survive it intact and that your mental health does not decline and, in fact, flourishes. I hope you do very well. And, uh, big love to both of us, huh? Anyway, I think that's all I've got to say for this time. So, until next time, fly on. Okay.